I am, I just marveled a while ago at the love of Jesus that's shared in this body. I was peeking where y'all were praying a while ago. I was praying with you. But you sweep me off my feet. Thank you for your love, your compassion, your unity. Thank you for being you. I don't know how else to say it. Praise God. Woo! A dose of Jesus is all you need in life. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Like I've often shared, one drop of the blood of Jesus Christ is enough to heal the world. And you've definitely been affected by his blood for you. Praise God. Want to remember just enough in the past, to know how bad it was, (laughs) and to know how much more, how good it is. Well, we'll lighten it up a little bit here. Anyone who doesn't know what shampoo tastes like has never bathed a dog. Some of you have reverential experience of that. Revelational, not reverational. Anyway. I'll never forget the look on the cashier's face when she scanned the packet of bird seed. And I asked her, how long does it take for the birds to grow once I plant them? <laughs> There's a couple people in here who would probably say something like that to a 16-year-old cashier. <laughs> and my last but not least, April showers bring May flowers. But what do Mayflowers bring? Pilgrims. I told you it'd take them a while. <laughs> uh, Mayflowers was the boat that the pilgrims came over on for milk. <laughs> I know you know, uh, most of you anyway. Those of you that had history in school when you were growing up. <laughs> uh, Blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will be sad in it. I will be mad in it. (laughs) I will rejoice and be what? (laughs) Amen. Praise God. Praise God forever. A few quick announcements. Uh, Tim is continuing his... uh, four-week stint with week number three. A lot of people here last Wednesday night joined the party. It's good. You'll hear more about it a little bit later on. Next Sunday, World Traveling Prophetic Evangelist Teacher will be joining us in the service to speak the Word of God. Pastor Kelly, that's him. I, I, I will be in uh, the North Elevation Church in Mansfield, Texas, and uh, getting them straightened out. Or maybe messed up and then run out of town real fast, you know. 
But uh, anyway, I'll miss y'all next week. Uh, but uh, we'll have fun there. Thank you for your prayers. And I know whatever he shares will be great. And uh, it'll, it'll be life invigorating. Amen. In the Greek, that means invigorating. Okay. Um, last Sunday, I'll be back. And uh, there's five Sundays this month. And I'll be doing part 18 in the Holy Spirit messages. So we did 17 of those, and we haven't done one in a while. So we'll, we'll do that. I'm going to try to do about one of those a month, actually, and um, let him be God that he is. Also, on the um, last Sunday of the month, and you'll hear more about this later on, really want to encourage you, uh, we're going to be playing a movie and it's called The Enemies Within the Church. It has to do with some things going on and the progressive movements and those kinds of things. So um, I think you'll find it uh, informative and uh, seeing what the culture is like in places that uh, need Jesus. And then the first Wednesday of June, beginning what we call summer, and we'll be doing, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. It's 12 weeks. It's extremely informative. It'll start off with creation. And it'll just take us all the way through to show you how silly atheism is. <laughs> but it'll be bringing up things about Christianity that you may not have heard, or maybe you heard about them two or three, four, five years ago, and you need to be refreshed. So it's a DVD series, and then we'll do Q&A at the end of it. Uh, Dr. Frank Turek is the one that's uh, doing the DV sections, and there'll be other people with little snippets in. There will be books, and there will be study books available, and uh, we're going to do those on a nominal amount, a charge, and, uh, but we don't want anybody to miss it because they're not at that time ready to pay for it, so we want to make sure you're here. Uh, the books will probably, we'll probably put about $10 a piece on them. They cost more than that, but that's probably what we'll do, something like that. I don't know. Uh, as soon as Brad gives me permission, we'll let you know. But uh, it, it's really, I cannot stress the importance it is, especially in this day and time, about being able to have an answer prepared like the Bible says, and we'll be sharing that a little bit later on scripturally. So anyway, that's, uh, that's kind of that. Let's get into the message, Okay. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you that we can nosedive into your word. And thank you, Father, that you're there to meet us and to bring everything that you want brought done to each person in this room today and each person that's watching this video, whenever that might be. Thank you for the illumination, Holy Spirit, that you bring. And thank you for exalting the name of Jesus. And we thank you for that, receiving it now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, if you've seen the Facebook or you've seen the text uh, notes about this particular message, you'll know that it's, which is your missing corner? What's that mean, Buck? Well, I'll tell you what it means. It means that we're going to be talking about a quadrilateral. That's a four-sided piece, just as an illustration. And if you, as you know, a four-sided drawing has four corners. And we're going to talk about four different corners of that today. Uh, don't get this confused with the Foursquare Church. 
which rightfully believes uh, you must be born again, healed, baptized in the Spirit, and Jesus is coming back. Uh, it's not the same as that. Uh, this is actually John Wesley's quadrilateral that he came up with quite a few years ago. He didn't actually put it together. He put the things that make it up, and then a theologian later came on that, took it, and started calling it, calling it Wesley's quadrilateral. And I think it's really, really a good tool to be able to use to effectively study the Bible. I hope you're taking notes today. If you're not, uh, this will be available on YouTube after about 7 or 8 o'clock tonight. So, John Wesley's quadrilateral, we're not necessarily teaching it this morning, we're using it this morning, because I'll, I'll uh, add and, and skip a few things in it. But uh, I, uh, I enrolled uh, some years ago, um, took some theology courses at Oklahoma Wesleyan, and uh, when they were doing apologetics and theology uh, classes, and I took some of those, and it was really a great experience uh, because up to that time, I had a, I'd had a lot of study, and I had a lot of Bible study done. I had a lot. I, had, uh, I took correspondence courses from uh, men like uh, Lester Summerall, for those of you that are older than 20. And uh, I read just about every book that Kenneth Hagin ever wrote, uh, E.W. Kenyon ever wrote, probably. Um, a lot of stuff from John G. Lake. Uh, Smith Wigglesworth, a lot of different people. Some of those people were basically Bible people, meaning they, they didn't have seminary training. Uh, I remember uh, Brother Hagen used to call it cemetery uh, with all the stupids. <laughs> but uh, anyway, he was saying that in a joke. But there's all kinds of theological doctrines that out there. And they brought out some things, and I was reading on it, and um, along with some other correspondence courses and taking quite a few different classes with AECC. And uh, I started doing some deeper searching to find some things that some of the people, uh, the, the fathers of our faith, not, not only them, but the ones that came up through the Reformation. I think it's really important that we look at that. And so I went into all that. John Wesley was born in 1703. That's older than just about anybody in the house is today, except Brother Byron and me. So, uh, 1703, um, he was the 17th of 19 children. That's all his parents had was 19. Uh, at the same time, only nine lived beyond infancy. So that was a major, major thing. In fact, the woman that he and uh, John Wesley ended up marrying. Excuse me, I'm sorry. John Wesley's mother, Savannah, she came from a family that had 25 children. So I, I know through different things, that, and you, most of y'all do too, that infant mortality was extremely high. You go back several hundred years ago. When my brother was doing research on Daniel Boone, he came up with the, the name Jonathan Boone was in quite a few places. That was a good name for him, I guess. And he had one couple that had a, a son named Jonathan, then they did, he said, well, hold it. I've got this date. I've got this date for being born. And then he went back and did further research and found out they had a son named Jonathan that was born, and he died about three years later. And they read, the next boy came along, they named him Jonathan. So they had the same name for, the, for two different children. And you're doing historical research, that gets a little thick sometimes, but uh, that's what's happened. Um, 
His testimony is, I think, really uh, an awesome testimony. He came out of a family of ministers. His dad was a pastor. Uh, he came out of a family of that. He uh, went and got his seminary graduate degree, left England where he was living, came to the United States as a missionary to Native Americans, and uh, went back pretty much empty-handed, didn't feel like he had done much. Um, and I won't go into the whole testimony here, but basically he went back to England. Uh, John Whitfield was preaching. He got in some small groups, and he got saved after all that. So yes, there's people that are ministers even today that have not had a life-saving salvation experience, just like there's people in many churches that haven't. And that's sad, but it's true. The fact of it was when he got saved, he brought a wealth of knowledge and opportunity just like Paul the Apostle did, and that made him kind of having an extra supercharged time there. Um, he moved to heaven in 1791, so he was 88 years old, which is kind of unusual at that day and time. Um, his last words lying on his, um, people would call it a deathbed, I would call it a home-going bed. Uh, he laid there and was getting weaker and weaker, and he looked at the people there, and he says, farewell, closed his eyes, went to be with the Lord. No pain, no um, you know, turmoil or situations, screaming, yelling, just in peace he went. Just, he was tired. He, uh, he, he was known to have ridden over 50,000 miles on hard, horseback. That's not quite as good as a, a new electric vehicle, okay? Uh, he preached uh, on the average of about three times a day. And um, he and his brother Charles were known to have be riding along. Charles did thousands and thousands of hymns. They'd be riding along, and <laughs> they'd fall off the horse and lay there speaking in tongues on the ground, praising God. So they definitely believed in the miraculous. Hallelujah. So this is not a copy of what John Wesley said. Like I said, it's an outline from one of his followers, and there's quite a few additions and modifications for clarity. Um, this, uh, it, this, this first corner we're going to talk about in the quadrilateral is called something you know, <laughs> that you know, Scripture, okay? And everything flows from that corner. That is the main thrust, the main foundation, the main focal point of what he would say. And I just want to read something that um, Josh and Sean McDowell wrote in the unshakable truth about the Word of God. This God-inspired book called the Bible was written during a 1,500-year span through more than 40 generations by more than 40 different authors from every walk of life. Shepherds, soldiers, prophets, poets, monarchs, scholars, statesmen, masters, servants, tax collectors, fishermen, tent makers. What a collection. Its God-breathed words were written in a variety of places, in the wilderness, in a palace, in a dungeon, on a hillside, in a prison, and in exile. It was penned on the continents of Asia, Africa, and Europe, and was written in three languages, Hebraic, Aramaic, and Greek. It tells hundreds of stories, records hundreds of songs, 
and addresses hundreds of controversial subjects. Yes, the Bible did that. (laughs) Yet, with all of its variety of authors, origins, and content, it achieves a miraculous continuity of theme. God's redemption of his children and the restoration of all things to his original design. And that last few words, if we keep that in mind, we would have a whole lot fewer problems in this world today. What should this life be like? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That would avoid so many things, include a lot of confusion in so many areas today in our culture. Because of the redemptive and relational purpose of the Bible, God cannot allow it to be lost, twisted, or distorted, Wesley said. I'll read that again. Because of the redemptive and relational purpose of the Bible, remember relation was us to God and us to each other. You know, the wall was broken down between the Jew and the Gentile, but also the veil was rent, torn. God cannot allow it to be lost, twisted, or distorted. I had somebody recently that said, well, 92% of the Bible is true. And I go, what are you talking about? 92%. I mean, I've heard people say it wasn't true, and I've heard a lot of people that do believe it is true. Good place to say amen. But 92%. And I just looked at him, I says, my God is big enough to get his handbook to me. And if God's not bigger than the paper that the Bible's written on, he's not much of a God. I just say that in plain clarity. The Bible's the Bible's a Bible. Amen. And you start picking out one or two words, you're going to mess up everything. I didn't say every translation is totally perfect. The original was for sure. But there are also families of translations, and if you study those things, you'll see that the little idiosyncrasies that you might find between some translations are minuscule, and they change nothing with the doctrine of the Bible. Praise God. Matthew 5.18, Jesus speaking, Truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And also, Wesley said, he will permit nothing to impede his purpose. Talking about the Lord there. And I use Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away, Jesus said. Never, ever, ever. Even into heaven, his word's there. He holds the world together with his hands. Heaven's coming to earth to be the new heavens and the new earth. It, it wouldn't be held together without his word. And there's tons of more mind-blowing information about God's words available. I could just do a whole message or so on that. But uh, we'll, we'll move right along. And Wesley's first corner was interpretation of Scripture. Interpretation of Scripture. And uh, first of all, uh, I want you to know that what he's saying is these are essential items that when we're reading the Word, if we'll look at it in this frame, then we'll find ourselves 
better able to comprehend, to receive, and to implant in us the engrafted word. Inspiration, excuse me, interpretation requires inspiration. Interpretation requires inspiration. The Bible is inspired, but we also have the author available to talk to us and to lead us through what he wrote. His name is Holy Spirit. And if we will ask him before we read the word to show us what he would have for us as we read that day and read it with him as a mother would be reading to her child or a little boy or a little girl is asking the dad, what about this or what about that? He's there as a partner to bring the word that he's already written. Praise God. I like what Wigglesworth said. You've heard me say this before. Some people read the Bible in the Hebrew. Some people read the Bible in the Greek. I read mine in the Holy Ghost. And I, that just sums it up. That's about as plain as you can get and as powerful as you can get. Praise God. We're talking about divine guidance reading Scripture. The hand of the Lord is with us. The hand of the Lord is for us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. He will lead us and guide us into what He has for us. He's not going to show you everything the first day because you don't have the next thousand years to read those three chapters. Somebody will get that in a minute. But we need divine guidance in the Bible to, to, to lead us. Um, I, I want to share a little uh, me time on this one. Uh, to get the full effect of Wesley's thoughts on Scripture and how fundamentally important that is to flourishing of all Christians, it's vital to his overall strategy. What I will read was originally from Wesley's works, as noted in Mark L. Weeder's book, John Wesley's View of Scriptures, page 162. This is what Wesley said about Scripture. We're going to go back here several hundred years, which I think is awesome. There are four grand and powerful arguments which strongly induce us to believe that the Bible must be from God. Miracles, prophecies, the goodness of doctrine, and the moral character of the penman. All miracles flow from divine power. All the prophecies from divine understanding the goodness of the doctrine from divine goodness, and the character of the penman from divine holiness. Did y'all get that one? Divine power, miracles, divine power create miracles. Divine understanding is where prophecies come from. The goodness of doctrine from the divine goodness, and divine holiness brings out the character of the penman that God used and wrote through, holy men of old, as Peter called that. I beg leave to propose a short, clear, and strong argument to, to prove the divine inspiration of the Holy Scriptures. The Bible must be the invention of God, excuse me, the Bible must be the invention of good men or angels, bad men or devils, or of God. Got three choices. Number one, 
it could not be the invention of good men or angels, for they neither would nor could make a book and tell lies all the time that they were writing it saying, thus saith the Lord, when it was their own invention. Number two, it could not be the invention of bad men or devils, for they would not make a book which commands all duty, forbids all sin, and condemns their soul to hell for eternity. I love it. I love it. And number three, therefore, I draw the conclusion that the Bible must be given by divine inspiration. John Wesley. Okay, and he also said these things. And I added a couple in here myself, too. Is that okay? This is one I added. And he actually said it elsewhere. Should be interpreted literally when possible. The Bible should be interpreted literally when possible. It should be interpreted according to context. It's referring specific, if it's referring to specifically the the uh, Jews to set them apart from God's very own. That's one thing we need to look at. Like, for instance, the dietary laws of the Jewish people, that was given only to the Jewish people. If a pagan or a Gentile didn't follow the dietary laws, they were not disobeying God. Okay? It was to set the Jewish people apart so that they would be noted as his chosen people. Okay, so that's a, a reference there. Uh, ceremonial. Some of the laws in the Old Testament were ceremonial. They're not for us today. If we wanted to slaughter a bull or a goat or a, a turtle dove for sacrifice, that would be blasphemy because the one-time sacrifice for all time has been made, Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Okay, so we don't go by the ceremonial laws in the Old Testament. But God put them in there for a purpose to understand what he was doing and also to give us a knowledge of some things that how uh, precise his, his desire for us is to follow along. Okay, in other words, he goes, don't eat shrimp. Well, Peter got the revelation and shared it with us, so we get to eat shrimp. But people before the cross could eat shrimp if they weren't Jewish, and God didn't ever cause judgment to fall on them because they ate pork. Okay? So don't worry about that. The Bible, the New Testament, and the Bible says, kill and eat. I saw a side on the back of a vehicle the other day. My daughter-in-law would shoot me if I heard, she heard me say this. I said, did I say daughter-in-law? My granddaughter, my granddaughter. Not my daughter's-in-law. They wouldn't say that. But, you know, it says PETA, P-E-T-A, people eating tasty animals. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Sorry, Sarah. <laughs> but then there's moral laws that God put in the Old Testament that are still applicable to today. He's actually put those in our hearts. We just need to wake up and know it, okay? So that kind of, I hope, helps a little bit when we understand what we're reading in the Old Testament. If you look at it this way, everything in the Old Testament must pass through the cross, okay? Some things will actually stop at the cross, 
the dietary laws, the ceremonial laws, those things. Some things will change from physical to spiritual, okay? Circumcision is a good example of that. It used to be physical, now it's spiritual of the heart. And some things will uh, carry through the same, like praise and worship. It was all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament. So some things haven't changed at all. Thou shalt not murder is still in effect. Amen. In fact, it was in effect before the law. Um, Okay, so that's the first corner. And I know everybody at Church of Tomorrow has that corner filled. Now you've just got a little decoration on it, okay? Second corner, tradition. Now, right now, here's the disclaimer on tradition. When you say tradition, a lot of people think about ceremony. A lot of people think about how do I do this? How do I accept Holy Communion? What kind of robe should the clergy wear? What all this ceremonial stuff. I'm not talking about that. Wesley wasn't talking about that either. Nothing to do with ceremonies. If you play a song, it's fast or slow, with music, without music. None of that comes under what he called tradition, as it should. What we know is if we take the Bible and we follow it through 2,000 years of Christianity and its history. Or we can actually go back before that and follow the Old Testament through Judaism. However, we need to read the New Testament to be able to filter that out, just like I was talking about, taking it through the cross. So we take from the Bible, and we go to the early church. Very important. How did the people that walked with Jesus, what would they say? They probably were a little closer to him than most of us have been, okay, naturally to say that. And, you know, what, how do they express it? Second uh, Corinthians chapter 15 was actually written within a few years of the resurrection, and that's provable in ancient history. That was a, uh, a creed that was sang and was sang, yeah, that's right, was sung. It's sang. It doesn't have has have a Help me, Kelly. <laughs> they sang it. <laughs> they sang it. <laughs> and then it was written down a few years later, still in the first century. I'm not really as stupid as I look, okay? okay. <laughs> and then we, we see that, we see traces of it through the next, really, 1,200 years or so. But it's still there in place all along. People like Aquinas, and I believe it was the 12th century, uh, people like him came along and, and added some things and some clarifications and ad- addressed some things that some other people hadn't addressed. And we, we get a lot of what we lo- learn in, in proper theology from him and others. Then uh, the Reformation itself, my goodness, how important is that? And because that was a real supercharge to the things of God. It affected the whole earth, saved and unsaved. The Reformation did. Praise God. And then today, and of course, the rope runs through it all the way. So what the Lord showed me, maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself in my notes, but I want to, when I read the Bible, I see it in the Bible I want to see it in the first early church, first century church. I want to see it in the Reformation. 
and I will see it today. And if I can't find it in all of those, I don't want it. Because there's something wrong someplace. Now, there's also, remember, there's things, there's doctrines that are imperative, like Christian orthodoxy, that Jesus died on the cross as a payment for our sins, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead and ever lives to make intercession for the saints, sent the Holy Spirit. Those, those, the triunity of God, all those things are imperative that we believe that there is a real heaven and there is a real hell. And after you pass through the veil into the next life, you're going to go to one of those two places. There is no purgatory. There is nothing else other than heaven or hell. And if you know Jesus Christ and you call him your Lord and you believe and trust in him, you will end up in heaven. And if you don't believe and trust in Jesus Christ, the only way, truth, and life, then you will end up in eternal damnation. Now, I'm not being mean about that. I'm just telling you what the Bible says because I grieve that the enemy is there fighting, trying to pull people into a snare and deceive people every day, people right around us. And to take them to everlasting punishment? Well, let's just face it this way. Hell's the absence of God. Without God, there ain't nothing good. Utter darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's literal. And I cannot and will not change from that, as you should also believe that. Now, there are other things that are not imperative. We're going to get into one of them a little bit later. But we have opinions, and that's okay. You know, it's okay to, be, to have an opinion. Some people say you have to have organ music. Some people say that you can't have music. Some people say that you have the music like we use. That doesn't make us any more or less of a Christian than somebody else, Okay. So we express what we, what we believe and what we want, and it's through our own ability and our own desires that we communicate with God in that way. So let's not get into, you know, this and that. I don't want to get into calling people's names that I don't agree with unless I know that they're non-orthodox in their beliefs. If they say there's many ways to heaven, yes, I'll be glad to speak their name out. There's no doubt about that. That is sending people to hell if they say there's more than one way. So we've got to understand that what we have, especially in this day and time, is essential to not only our lives, our families, our neighbors, people we know, but it's essential for every person. We've got to get the word out. We've got to love people. And we've got to be able to sit down and talk with people in the right spirit rather than say, you're going to hell. Yeah, That's not going to win anybody over. They probably already know it. Okay? Yeah. So you need to step in front of them before they walk in the pit. That's important. We're ministers of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for Christ Jesus. I don't care who they are, if they're a foot taller than Jeremy and weigh 200 pounds more and have muscles three times as big as his and they're dressed in drag, I'm still 
going to love that person because they're made in the image of God, but I'm not going to accept what they say is the way that they were made. There's a difference. Thank you for letting me use the illustration there, Jeremy. You know, it's, it's so imperative that we, we get this, and we're, we're not going to run away from somebody when they ask a question that we can't answer. We can tell them, I'm not sure about that or how to express that, but I can get back with you on that. What's your phone number? Where do you live? Why do you want to meet me at church Sunday morning? Whatever. We, we need to love these people because they're hurting, and they're deceived. Now, some people will blankety-blank this, blankety-blank that. That's okay. You can love them from a distance in. You don't have to put up with their stuff. Now, some of us will and take it and still try to work with them. But I'm not telling you that you have to. We read the Scripture historically upon the wealth of Christians that have gone before us in agreement with them. That doesn't mean we're going to agree on every little bitty, bitty thing. But churches have worked this out in the past many times, going back hundreds, well, actually almost 2,000 years ago. Peter and Paul had a disagreement, okay? So, you know, you got a couple of hot rods like that in a disagreement, and of course, you know, they, they, just, they resolved it. They didn't pull out guns, take five paces the other direction, and then shoot. Come on. They didn't split the church. I'm going to take my brethren and go over here on the other side because I believe that we should be able to blah, 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 blah. Who cares? How can we come together? And there's some people I can come together with on basic foundations. There's some I can do on a lot of doctrinal things and maybe celebratory things. And there's some I just can't get there. That's okay. I don't forget to love them and to pray for them. I pray for people that are lost as goose. I mean, they, that's what it looks like. But I'm praying that God would send labors into the harvest field like the Bible says I should. And I believe God to do that. And he'll probably smack them in the face, turn around just like he did me. He didn't smack me literally, but he did verbally. <laughs> it's okay. My gosh, look what Jesus took. I'm afraid they'll re reject me. Well, Jesus got rejected a few thousand times, and he still does today. Okay? He's perfect. Where are you? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, Wesley also said he didn't believe in the infallibility of Scripture. I do too, but I don't communicate it that way. I communicate it as Scripture is true in all that it affirms. Because that shows that if you are serious about asking for the authenticity of the Word of God, if you'll read it enough, you'll get it. We have lots of apologists today that were atheists that tried to disprove God and found him reading Scripture. That Scripture is alive. If you'll just look at it, my gosh. Lee Strobel, Josh McDowell, you could go on and on about great people. Nabil Qureshi that read the Bible and had gone into detail on it and find out, huh, this is true. So 
The Bible is true in all that it affirms. And that's what our essentials of faith here at Church of Tomorrow say. I'm still going to preach on that whole thing one day. Let's read a few more verses here while we're on the second corner. Second corner is what? Tradition. Not ceremonial, but historically. 2 Peter 1.12 So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Glory to God. So far, you've heard what I was going to say, but I'm convicted to say a little bit more. <laughs> uh, if someone shares something new that does not fall in the early church, history, Reformation, then we probably at best put it on your spiritual shelf, bookshelf. But don't gobble it down. Don't gobble it down. Because if you can't find it there, it may be there, and you just don't know where it is. So I'm, I'm saying, hey, seek out all you want. But if you've got somebody telling you they've got a new revelation, in fact, I heard somebody say something on the subject we're getting ready to get into, <laughs> that, um, well, that was a mystery until 200 years ago, then it was released. Now, that can be very dangerous. Now, particularly, this particular point's not a matter of heaven, uh, heaven or hell. It's just a matter of what you think about things. But um, that's, that's a good example, though, that we can't just need to swallow new things that have not been written clearly in Scripture, mouth two or three witnesses, have been uh, practiced by the early church, practiced in the days of the Reformation, able to be practiced today. Okay. Um, miracles. Many preachers will tell you today they don't happen. 
many of them, they will say, miracles don't happen anymore. That was just the first century when the apostles were doing those things, so God, God had to start things. He had to kickstart things, and so he did it then. But uh, there's one particular preacher on YouTube that says that all miracles and prophecies have ceased. I believe in them in the first century, but I don't believe them anymore. I believe in the apostles in the first century. I don't believe them anymore. I believe in prophets in the first century, but I don't believe in them anymore. And they go on to say a lot of other things. Now, how does that measure up to historical Christianity? Well, the answer is it doesn't. Because miracles are noted all the way through the last 2,000 years. And even before then, God did miracles before uh, the first century church. John Wesley, I've got a book at home that show manifestations of the supernatural in his ministry. He had a lot of demons cast out in his ministry. And, and you know, in, in his own words, he talks about a lot of that. Um, other people will tell you that they can happen. They don't necessarily say they will but they can happen, and they're very sincere in that. And just because they haven't seen one that they know of, then they say, well, miracles can happen. To me, you know, the greatest miracles are the creation, the resurrection, and the new birth. That's just what I see. No, if you don't agree with that, you may not be going to hell. <laughs> There's... In, because if you don't have miracles, you know what? You don't have God. If you don't believe a God who made everything out of nothing cannot perform miracles today, will not perform miracles today, then you don't have God. You have a book only. You don't have the author. This is an understanding that people need that in order to be able to be saved, they've got to receive a Savior. Now, I'm not going to split hairs here, and somebody says they're saved, and they're preaching on YouTube, got a lot of followers, and they say that miracles don't happen today, that they've all ceased. You know, maybe people can still get saved because those same people, as far as I know, are the ones that believe that God's uh, undeniable grace will save the elect and nobody else can be saved. So to me, that's very far uh, from the truth of the Bible. God's not going to make you go to heaven if you don't want to. And God's not going to let you go to hell if you want him. Amen. Now, another example and um, I haven't said a whole lot about this, but and I don't want to make this a big deal. It's not a deal breaker, okay? But another example of something that's come up in the last 200 years that has no foundation, I believe, in the Bible. Other people will disagree with me on that. You may be one of them. That, um, but we can find nothing until about 18, 1820s. That's called the rapture. Uh, it's it's not as far as I'm concerned, a biblical doctrine. Now, the thing about it is, if you want to believe in the rapture, go right ahead. 
I, I don't care. I mean, that's up to you. It's not a, a salvation breaker for you. It's not a, something that we want to get real deep in a church. If you want to come in and talk to me about it sometime, I'm glad to show you scriptures and things. But it's not a deal breaker. And there are a lot of people that believe in it. And there's not any evidence for the Reformation or anybody back in the first, second, third, fourth, fifth centuries to have believed in it. So that in the rapture is not the second coming. The second coming uh, is an Orthodox Christian doctrine, and that's about when he comes, and uh, we we uh, this whole thing's all ended. Praise God. So. I want to be clear on that. I hope that's clear enough for you. I want to say some other things uh, about it. But I don't want that to be uh, a, a division. I'm not saying that to divide. I'm just saying it because I'm convicted to say that. And I'll tell you why in a few minutes. Okay, third corner, reason. 2 Timothy 4.1. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. You see, your walk in Christ, and my walk in Christ, if we wanted to go into the laity clergy, which we don't believe in that, but I mean, we're all the same. You have the same standard to uphold that I do. I have the same standard to uphold what you do, and that's our attempt to walk by the grace of God into holiness. But when it comes to teaching, I have a higher standard because the Bible charges me to do that. Kelly has a higher standing. Some of you have higher standings. When you start teaching the Word, you're at a different level. So I'm responsible to you to make sure that I do the best of my ability to reach that standard. 2 Timothy 4.3, For the time will come, and if there's ever anything true in the Bible, just open the windows, look. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, To suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. You can get that on YouTube all day long. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Well, Brother Dan, I, I, I see that, but uh, he was a preacher. Yeah, he sure was. But so are you. You're a minister of reconciliation. Yes. You're an ambassador of Christ Jesus. So these kind of responsibilities we all have. The third corner is the apologetic corner. It's, let's look at it from a reasonable, logical perspective what the Bible's saying. And what we need to do is when we take Scripture, we need to be able to look at it logically. And if we don't understand it logically, then we need to keep on looking. And we need to dig it out so that there's a confirmation by the Holy Spirit that what we, we see and what he, he said are one and the same. And 
the church, the, the modern church has lost a lot of that. That's the reason there's a lot of apologists now, because there was a real need for it. Just like there was a real need for teaching a few decades ago, and God brought that up. And now there's some things that are going back into a reason standpoint that we need to be able, as the Bible says, to talk to people, to explain to people, to be able to share with people. We need to have resources available. We need to be able to reach them whatever it takes. Uh, an important part of what we are going to be doing with I don't have enough faith to be an atheist is showing a lot of things about creation that are really very hard to dispute. I would say 99% in your face, they're, they're you know, I, I can't ever say there's 100% of anything or something like that, but it shows that there's not, a, there's such a slim possibility that it was evolution that it's ridiculous as the way we look at it and things like that. So that'll really, really help you too. Now, that's three corners, and we'll go to the fourth one, and I haven't forgot anything yet, so stay with me. The fourth one, completing the corners of the quadrilateral, number four, experience. Now, this does not mean that your experience shows you truth. It means that you should experience truth in your life. It's a big difference. I don't go by how I feel. I line up and with a renewed mind, and I go with the leading of the Holy Spirit, which are one and the same, and I will get to the point that I'm going to. Okay? So my feelings are not a part of the understanding of Scripture, although I should feel what God is doing. My liver's a whole lot better when I quit drinking. Just saying. I drank enough of this whole church for... Not proud of it, but I'm proud of the one who delivered me. <laughs> so it's not using your experiences to try to put Scripture to agree with your experiences. Okay? It's to put Scripture in you so that you can live those experiences that He wants you to live. First of all, it's to compare our experiences to the Word of God. Maybe we need an adjustment. Maybe we need a clarification, a redirection. I'm looking to the mirror of his word to find out if I'm on the right track or not. Praise God. The result of all of that is what? Change your life. Change your life for the better. That's what it's all about. That's the reason he gave us his word. So we'd know what to expect, when to expect it, how to expect it. Amen. Praise God. Scripture through tradition, through reason, is a changed life for us to present the glory of God to others. Very important. This is all about Him. Our Christian life is all about Him. The things that we do, say, act, what we are directed in life to do, where our, some of our money goes, where my mouth, what it says, where I go, what I'm drawn to, who I help, how I help them. 
that's all for the betterment and the glory of Jesus Christ. I am simply an ambassador, a messenger. He is the one that gets the glory. He's the one that has saved the world. He is the chief shepherd. I am a sheepdog. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's what's important. Okay, let's bring out example again here. Um, when going through and learning the Wesley quadrilateral, I, I'd always had problems with the rapture. Okay? And I'm just saying this to let you know. I, I want to be open with you on stuff. Um, I'd already have problems with it. You know, then you got people that believe in the pre-trib and the mid-trib and the post-trib and the out-trib, in-trib. <laughs> you got all that kind of stuff. And I've also had a lot of problems with a lot of the prophecy teachers trying to compare whatever's going on in the world that day to the Bible and saying it's going to be this, and then two years later it's that, and then five years later it's this. And a lot of them are trying. They have good intentions, but they, they really don't um, keep a consistent thread through the decades. And if you're around from 1990 to now and look at that, I think you'd have to agree with me on that. Um, so I was eventually faced with the decision about the rapture teachings because I didn't see it throughout history. I didn't see it in the early church. Uh, so I thought, well, either the Wesley quadrilateral is wrong and the rapture is right or the rapture is wrong and the quadrilateral is right. But I'd already made a decision when the Lord was showing me some things there that I'm going to follow that quadrilateral's way of thinking because it's important that what I tell you, that you can take it, confirm it with the Word, and live it, okay? You don't take my Word for it. You take the Word of God for it. So I was in a trap, so to speak, but I, I had, to, had to work out of it, and I said, God, you did it again. You got me in youth ministry by kind of finagling, and you got me in this so I'm just going to be quiet. I'm going to ponder it. Uh, I'm going to read it, think about it in scriptures. I go along and read other things and keep my mouth shut in the meantime. So I kept my mouth shut for quite a few years. And then I decided I'm going to say something about this at the right time. I've got pastor friends that believe in it, okay? So <clears throat> that's fine. I've got people in this church I know that some of you believe in the rapture. So I'm not trying to quench your theory, but I will challenge your thinking. Hallelujah. So I didn't stop there. I continued to check it. I continued to look at it. And then finally I decided I'm going to look and see what some other people say about it. Well, one of the first ones I checked was N.T. Wright, who is one of the most noted theologians on the world alive today also happens to be an early church historian. First three centuries, he can almost tell you everything anybody could. Guess what? Found his teaching on the rapture. He doesn't believe in it. So I thought, okay, I'm going to keep on going. So then there's another person that is one of the top apologists in the world today and a noted theologian. He's got a double doctorate. Um, well, well received and noted. His name is William Lane Craig. And guess what? 
He didn't believe in the rapture. I actually got him when he was teaching a Sunday school class, and there was a lady that did, and it was fun to listen to the discourse. Um, and it was all in brotherly, sisterly love, too, okay? So I thought, hey, I'm in pretty good, <laughs> pretty good friendship here with these two guys. And so, um, and I've heard other people that, that teach on it or off on it uh, or not on it, against it, I guess I should say. So here again, I don't want to make a big deal, but I've got to be clear with you on this. So if you want to believe in the rapture, I'm okay with you believing in that. It's not a salvation. It's not a heaven or hell thing. Uh, but here is the problem that I have with the rapture, and the reason that I'm talking about it is because of the fruit of it. It seems to me that people who believe in the rapture, not saying you individually, I don't group people like that. I do individual looking at people. All black people, all white people, all brown people, all <laughs> this people or that. No, I don't get into that deal. You are an individual <laughs> before God. I believe there's two issues with it. The main one is most people who believe in the rapture in the church of Jesus Christ today are praying for the rapture because they want to get out of here. And we've got a lot of people that need to hear the Word of God. We need to be praying for souls of people, that people are born again. That's what we need to do. Now, I'm not saying everybody says that that believes in the rapture. I'm not saying that. But I've talked to too many people, and I'll even ask them something, hey, how's everything going? Great, man, just praying that, you know, Jesus comes and raptures us today or tomorrow. And some of that's probably in jest, but a lot of it's in sincerity. And I know people that know the Bible well that believe in that, but they can't really tell me where it is. They can take a, one scripture and kind of make it that way. But Jesus said that those who endure to the end, okay, because the, the problem is, okay, so some people say, well, if I get raptured out of here, then Uncle Bill and Aunt Mary will know that I've been telling them all along about this, and so they'll have proof to them that they can believe in Jesus. Well, number one, what about Luke 16 where uh, Lazarus and the rich man were there and the rich man told Lazarus to, or told the Lord to, uh, in Abraham's bosom says, send somebody to tell my brothers. And what he say? He said, even if they had somebody that rose from the dead, they won't believe it. Okay. And if you believe the rapture theology and you believe that the Christians will be taken out and that there is salvation available for other people, kind of like in the Old Testament, that's what the people that teach that say, you think that's going to be great. And so Aunt Mary and Uncle Bill will believe it then. My question is, who's going to disciple them? Would God do that? That's not scriptural. That's just what I think. But he believes in discipling. And so I, I just, uh, I, I want to be honest and open. That's it. And if you see me in five minutes from now and you say, you know, I still believe the rapture, I'm going to say hallelujah. Okay. I'm not going to split with you over it. I'm not going to get ticked about it. And uh, I would have to cut off a lot of relationships here and there. But I think the reality of it is that this is something everybody ought to consider for a lot of reasons. 
This is the last days, folks. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But it's the last of the last days that's never been closer to being the very last. And if you just take a look at the idiocracy that's around this world today, you know something is wrong. You know, when a two-year-old boy is told by his mother that he's a girl, and there's a story like that, and is told that when he's six, she's going to start him on puberty blockers. And here's my question. She's a pediatrician? How would you like him on your, her on your, your grandchild? Ooh, my goodness gracious. We're, we're talking about abortion in states' laws right now that they're trying to get, because everybody's nervous, so they want to kill the babies, murder the babies. I'm not going to say kill anymore. Murder the babies. They're, so they want to do it right up to the very day they're born, except for a couple states that want to do it beyond that. Folks, that's the spirit of Moloch. I'm going to be doing a, uh, one of our podcasts on that this next week. It'll be available probably next weekend. Next weekend, uh, I'm going to be doing one on abortion. It'll be about 15 minutes. I grieve over that. I grieve over that. That we murder our own in the womb? My gosh, how crazy can it get? How crazy can it get? What is a woman? I don't know. There's one guy going around with the sign on him. What is a woman? And he's, he's doing a documentary. And people can't answer that question. They can't see that, as Nancy Piercy wrote in the, her book, uh, Love Thy Body, that we're kind of like God. We're a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. And your body is you. Okay? It's not the essential of you, but it's your tent. It's your temple. It's what you walk around in, and you can't separate it from your soul and your spirit. And if you do, you're dead. And people are bringing all these kind of things up and reinforcing it. There's a cult-like effect on young teenage girls. Used to be all the trans, just about most of them were men. Now it's teenage girls. Why? Because... It's kind of like a party. Yeah, or, you know, I don't want to say I'm against homosexuality or lesbianism, so I'm just going to be bisexual. So I accept everybody. I don't want to get any further than that on that item. It is decadent, and we need to wake up to that. It's around us. And I know you don't believe in that kind of stuff, but we're around it. It's all the way around it. And some of our young people in this church just need your help, support, and love because they're, they're really in it, around them. They see it at school. They see it in their jobs. They see, and I'm talking about all the way 20s and 30s too. Shaking our fist in the face of a loving, caring God who sent His only begotten Son so that everyone who believes in Him would not die but have life eternal. That's what it's all about. So the church is the one that can make the difference. You are the church. It is up to the church to love these people to life. We've, we've been silent too long. We've been mediocre too long. We've been asleep too long. We need to be able to take on a conversation with people You'd be surprised how many Christians are running around Oklahoma City and other places that are Christians that are afraid to say anything. Let's encourage them. 
I was eating with a pastor and his wife the other day, and our, we finally you know, got opening up a conversation with our weight person. This girl's on fire for God. She's afraid to say something about her on her job. Hey, you're 25 years of age. Go for it, girl. We'll support you. We'll help you. We'll give you whatever you, that we can do to help you. This is what's important. And I know the people of this church will do what God's calling them to do. As you can, this is not condemnation because you haven't done something. This is encouraging you to say it's a lot easier to talk to people about Jesus than you might think. You don't have to sit there and push Jesus down their throat, okay? Shake them and all that kind of stuff, threaten them with hell. You don't have to do that. You have to be honest with them and share with them and let them know that, they, that you care about them, that you you're with them on that. And if you see a pregnant girl and she's talking about other things, let's help her. Maybe there's a boy that has a situation like that with a girl. Let's help them. Let's do what we can to help them to save that baby's life. If, if you see a situation with trans, let's try to help people see reality. It's caused a lot of divorces because the whole family just... What the devil wants to do is to divide the house. A house divided cannot stand. If he doesn't use race, he'll use trans, he'll use uh, the, probably the really, uh, possibly the strongest one is abortion. Because there's people all walks of life that want to murder their babies as a convenience sake. Well, the condom broke, so we need to go ahead and have an abortion. I can get down on this stuff if you want me to. It, it's really important that we receive and that we know that people have a way to be helped, a way not to have to go through the misery of life and their situations, their suggestions, that there's somebody out here that cares about somebody. There's a lot of agencies to help. Maybe we can connect them. Maybe we, all we need to do is to find them a home for somebody. To, to, you know, a, a pregnant, unwed mother, maybe she just needs a place to live for a few months. I don't know. But whatever it is, let's try with everything we have to help them. I stand on the Word of God that God so loved the world and all of its crap that whosoever should believe in Jesus would have a new life, eternal life, life with meaning, abundant life, fresh life. You've got it. Would you give it to somebody else too? Praise God. Pastor Kelly? I don't know about you, but I've been challenged. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm challenged. Look at someone else and say, I'm being challenged. Uh, you know what God's Word says? As iron sharpens iron, what? One man sharpens another. God calls us to be sharpened. Hallelujah. Not just to accept anything, you know, point blank. But to actually be a Berean, like in the book of Acts. Amen? Where Paul uh, was ministering the Word of God in Berea. And the people said, well, that sounds good, but we're going to go home and we're going to look this up and we're going to study it and see if it's really right or not. 
And we live in a generation where we like to know a lot about everything, but not too deeply. And so we'll just kind of highlight everything and find out all the highlights. Hallelujah. And then we think we know it all. That's not a Berean. Okay. Well, I've got 45 other things I need to be doing. Uh, Why don't you cut out 43 of them? Okay. And let's go down a little deeper in the word of God like we should. Amen. Hallelujah. Look at someone and say, let's be a Berean. You know, God's word says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 9, honor the Lord. Everyone say, honor the Lord. Do you want to honor the Lord? Uh, We all do. With your wealth. Uh Uh-oh, I'm stepping on toes talking about moolah, money, dough, whatever you want to call it. Okay. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty. Then what will happen? Your barns will be filled with plenty. Then what will happen? Your barns will be filled with... What will happen? Your barns will be filled with plenty. Please don't be literal right now, okay? You understand what I'm talking about, okay? Hallelujah. And your vats will be bursting with wine. That doesn't mean you go out, okay, today and say, Pastor Kelly said we could go and have lots of wine. Get what I'm trying to say, okay? Honor the Lord with your wealth. Because when you honor the Lord with your wealth, I'm challenging you, iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Hallelujah. Okay, we want to honor the Lord in every arena of our lives. Amen. Hallelujah. Then we honor Him with the first fruits of what God has given us and what God has blessed us with. Amen. First fruits. Not your last fruits. <laughs> First fruits, not your last fruits. <laughs> Give him your best, not the little dabble do ya. <laughs> oh, Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, Father, for the tithes and offerings going forth today. We thank you, Father, that it will it's going to bring forth a mighty blessing as a result. And we thank you and bless you for it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Remember how we give, just, you know, either online texting or we've got the envelopes there in the back. Amen. Hallelujah. Jeremy, would you take over from here? All right. Um, Listen up. (laughs) Um, Pastor Dan's already said a few things about the announcements, but just to reaffirm them, um, give them to you again. Um, what an incredible, informative message this morning. Um, very challenged by this morning. Um, yeah, so good. Uh, yesterday, we released a podcast that covers all the podcasts we've done. So if you are a podcast person, make sure you get on the app that you use to listen to your podcast when you're driving to work or whatever, and check out the podcast. Um, in two weeks, on the 29th, a Sunday evening, so not Sunday morning, Sunday evening, we will be um, watching the documentary Enemies Within the Church, and I think we have a trailer right now. I'm going to check that out. All right. It's pretty eye-opening. Um, if we don't have a prayer closet, we probably should get one really quick. I'm sure, I know we all, all have one here, um, but... 
yeah, Western civilization is um, the topic of talking about Western civilization. The decay of Western civilization is just expanding. A lot of people are talking about it. And this Wednesday night in our four-part series of uh, Kingdom Entrepreneurship led by Tim Brown, he will be sharing um, stuff on Western civilization. Uh, this Wednesday, um, and it's been ever since we talked about the Seven Mountains. I've seen it like four times since then. Uh, so pretty cool that I actually knew what they were talking about because I'd never heard of that before. Um, so that's that. And then uh, those are the announcements. Did I get it all? All right. And then I'm just going to close us with prayer. Father, thank you for this morning to come together and to enjoy fellowship um, among uh, like-minded of uh, people who are in unity, seeking after your presence, seeking to expand your kingdom and to glorify you and to share your gospel. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you in song and to be uh, equipped with a very informative, uh, challenging message um, by our pastor Dan this morning. May it just go in deep. May it stir us to uh, seek to study and to pray on another level, to, to go after you, to learn things, to open up your word. We pray that you show us wonderful things that we do not know. Uh, we pray that we thank you, Lord, that the grass may wither and the flower may fail, uh, fade, but your word will last forever, Father God. And so we just take that word now out into the world to seek those that are lost, that are broken, and that needs some hope in their lives. Father, we thank you, we worship you, we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.